Hello, you're listening to Living Alone Together. I am your only host, Yen. So, before I start, I would like to have a tiny disclaimer, or rather a big one, which is that um, for those who are new, you should know that I am actually not living alone anymore. I've been living with this flatmate since May, or rather... Yeah, officially uh, beginning of June, but it's not important. The point is, I now live with a flatmate, and um, therefore, if you stumbled upon this this podcast by googling, let's say, "living alone experience podcast," and then you you thought I had the same living uh, condition as you, then you would be you would be wrong. But I did not. Um, live with anyone when I started this podcast so the not living alone situation only happened about two or three episodes ago and I intended this podcast to be a place where people could come back to when they feel maybe lonely or just completely um, alone and they needed some noise let's say (laughs) Um, and I was aiming for this uh, once per week re- release which I totally failed but I still try to be a consistent presence in some people's lives that's all I wanted to do now I have to say that living with a flatmate has not changed who I am fundamentally it's not like I suddenly have this five kids waiting for me to to give birth to them <laughs> or that I'm suddenly having four or five lovers in the house or something. It's nothing like that. So I'm still the same person fundamentally. My life has not changed that much. Um, I But I do have to say that there is indeed someone I could talk to, even for like the most mundane things, um, if I really wanted to. So, um, so there is a slight difference. And, um, and my flatmate, we do actually talk very often. Um, so, yes, so the, the nature of my living condition has changed. But after all, as I said, it's not like I'm having five lovers and five kids on the way. So I'm still the same person. And that's um, the only thing that really matters. Because as you'll discover, this is an entirely narcissistic project where I just talk about my thoughts and feelings unsolicited and even share a little bit about my life, which I have just done now. Um, So it's really just about me. I'm not going to talk about the news, or I'm not going to analyze anything that everyone else could access. It would would just be mostly me, myself, and I. I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, And also, as a note, um, this is not going to be a motivational podcast. It's not... A podcast that's going to soothe your soul in any way, I promise. <laughs> I am quite a negative or cynical person. I find fault in a lot of things, hence the podcast. Um, but I just want to be real, that's all <laughs> That's all um, I was aiming for. Well, I wasn't even aiming for that. I guess that's just what I could, I am able to do. So there's that, there's a disclaimer, and I hope you're enjoying this episode. So today, I guess, mm, I have a variety of topics in mind. And and in the end, I feel like they do coagulate into one big thing. So they may sound a little bit 
unrelated, but I hope I can bring them together. So I guess I can start with... Well, the general theme is just this, the parallel universe in our mind. So please bear with me, it's not going to be something about something cosmic or anything too too difficult. It's just some general observations about human languages. Um, where should I start? So I want to start with the with a few texts that I exchange with a, I guess, a new friend or a new acquaintance. Um, she is from the US, so that might have factored into the style of her writing. But um, she's sort of on the, like, 60% businessy, 40% friend side. So um, um, I'm not sure how to describe this. Definitely less businessy than a co-worker, but also not as friendly as a friend from school let's just say and so she's still a stranger to me and we we're supposed to arrange some things and she just in her texts um she just uses all these very positive words like amazing sounds great fabulous i'm looking forward to this or uh cool and awesome right all of these positive words and um, that shouldn't have surprised me, and they did not, um, because I'm very well acquainted with this kind of language, and I use it a lot, and it's almost, they're almost um, the same things, same thing as a period, and um, so instead of a period, you use an exclamation mark, or you add awesome to end your sentence, right? Um, and they definitely do appear often in in business exchanges. Uh, let me know if it works for you. Uh, looking forward to meeting you. It's like you, you just see these lines everywhere and it's just so common. You don't even think about it anymore. And uh, you're just supposed to type them out as if they were a period or some sort of uh, part of the grammar, right? They just belong to that whole sentence structure. Um, so, so it's not a surprise for me at all, but somehow today, I guess my mind has just been on the, on the rest, so maybe it was more alert or whatever, um, or rather I, uh, become a little bit bored today, so I don't know what it was, I was just suddenly alarmed of this use of language, and I wasn't as upset by it, but I was, I, I am alarmed, and the reasons that... Obviously, when, for one, they're so impersonal and so fake. Um, when you type, cool, I look forward to meeting you, I think 80% or more of the time, you are simply uh, dreaded to do that thing. <laughs> At least for me, right? Whenever I do that, I'd say in a job application or setting up a meeting or with whomever, um, when I said, when I typed out, Sounds great. I look forward to meeting you. I'm almost always lying. Uh, what I'm actually thinking is um, almost always, I hope this day never comes. <laughs> so there's the truth. That's at least on my side what the truth sounds like. I don't know about you, but um, I definitely don't feel like um, that it's awesome or cool or fantastic or whatever it is. So there's one problem with that. I think it's just very lazy. It's just very impersonal and uh, not to mention a complete lie for some of us at least. And 
another, I think, um, second problem with that, which is a bigger problem, is that this says a lot about our society, or at least maybe North American uh, society or Anglophone societies. Um, I think. Right, I was just thinking about this too. Like,、uh, I think British people or European people, let's say, they often end with like XX to indicate、uh, indicate、uh, kisses or something like that. Right, that's another issue which I'm not really I'm not really familiar with that kind of language. I'm just talking about the use of explicitly positive words, and I think that is a fundamental problem. I think this has to do with the society. Expecting people to be sociable, which is uh completely unironic, and it seems like a tautology even that in a society you're supposed to be sociable, but um but the over overly positive tone of sending these texts or emails, I think it secretly demands a little bit more than just sociable. I think they are expecting you not just to be sociable, but Amicable and um and completely extroverted and also cheery, right? Cheery. I think cheery is the problem that I have with this with this kind of writing. I'm not talking about the the person uh who 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 did this to me specifically. I'm just talking about the culture of using this kind of language. Um, it's expecting people to be cheery. Whenever they are going to meet someone new, whenever they're going to set up a business, when they're whenever they are communicating, basically, and I I don't think this happens only in a business kind of setting. I think you do that with a friend as well. When you set up an appointment to meet up, you say awesome, or that's that may be a different issue. But the general idea is that when we are Um, texting back and forth when we are、um, just talking to someone, we're supposed to be cheery. We're supposed to be not happy, but happy is a more deeper problem. But <laughs> we're supposed to be more than satisfied. We're supposed to be a little bit excited, and、um, we're supposed to feel that that、uh, uplifting. Um, spirit in our communication, I think, and I think, I think that is not good. <laughs> yes, it's fundamentally just not good that we've got this expectation. Even though it could be a little bit contradictory to the first point, which is that it's really empty and impersonal, but、um, meaning that. These words no longer really mean what they mean anymore. They're just a standard practice. But we chose to have these positive words as the standard practice because originally they're supposed to、um, hint or nudge people to feel happy or no, not happy, to feel cheery、um, when they think about meeting up or closing this deal with another human being, right? Um. So so um. Yes, of course. I I think I'm also grateful that this has become standard practice, so that they don't really mean that much anymore, which is a little bit sad. But at the same time, the origin of the sentiment is still there. I think, and um, and and the the question is why can't we settle with a simple yes or a simple no, 
right? Why when we say no, we have to be sorry, and why when we say yes, we have to be excited, like this is gonna be the best thing in your life or something. Um, I think a simple yes and no will do, right? Yes, let's meet up, or yes, uh, five p.m. is good. Even good might be a problematic language. <laughs> um, this is a whole another issue, but good um, does have a moral connotation, doesn't it? And 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 yet, I think, I think when we say that we want to do something together, that's not necessarily a moral good. It's just, I mean, good in that context just means. Yes, really, just an affirmation. But when affirmation gets conflated with a very morally loaded word, um, then then it gets a little bit complicated and not in a good way. So let's just say because good is just so banal. I mean, this word doesn't really mean it's just overused now. But let's just say that instead of saying good, we say virtuous whenever we want to say good. So. When you set up a meeting with a pal, and then you're like, "Yes, that sounds virtuous." <laughs> See, doesn't that sound very, very wrong? <laughs> it sounds ironically very wrong when you say that it sounds it sounds virtuous, right? And good does have the meaning of being virtuous, of being accepted.、Um, I know, I know what you're thinking. You're overthinking this. You're like you're overanalyzing this, but I think that's how language is supposed to work. Like they're supposed to have、um, like a real meaning, but it's just at least at least I think you know it would be better if we invented another word for good in that context, right? Instead of saying that it sounds good or that sounds great or that sounds fabulous, we could invent a word that is gonna have a neutral dictionary meaning. Um, as in, it doesn't connote this happy emotion,、um, and but then it shows affirmation. So I think that's the question. I think that's a real question. Why does affirmation have to be, have? Why does affirmation have to have this positive connotation? So affirmation and being positive and being morally good and being something to, to 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 seek. I think. These should not be、um, mistaken. They shouldn't be mixed. So when I affirm something, let's say,、um, if you ask me if、uh, if my birthday、um, is in February, I would say that is correct, right?、Um, but correct here is another thing. It's just it's checking the thing factually, but. Um, but I'm looking for something that is closer to the meaning of correct, but not just in a factual way, or not in a factual way, but really just as a neutral affirmative word. I think that could happen, and that should that there should be such a word, so that、uh, shows that I understood what you say and I agree with it,、um, and、uh, I'm not necessarily happy or sad about. Knowing what you've just said, I'm not necessarily、um, making any kind of moral statement. I'm not making any kind of judgment on the statement. Or rather,、uh, my only judgment would be that that is what I mean. That is what I want, or that is 
that is what I am thinking about. And you just said it out loud and I'm confirming that, right? I think there should be a word that is not too loaded that is useful in um in text or emails or something like that. So instead of saying yes, that sounds good and um and instead of just feeling that you could say a lot more than just saying yes, we should invent a word, right? Let's say yes, it sounds <laughs> I don't know. I've no idea uh what could go after that um if not good. But honestly, like um I think that there should be a thing and um I think the 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 closest thing would be that sounds all right. But see, there is a problem. All right is supposed to be a neutral neutral word or rather a neutral tilting towards good word, right? Because it's all right. <laughs> if it's all right, that's great. But today it's becoming this this neutral slash slightly negative word as in yeah it's fine it's just fine but it's not good enough to warrant it great but um but i could accept that kind of thing i feel like that's the connotation of all right right now so if you say yes that sounds all right uh i don't know how people feel about this at least i i believe that maybe at least 40 percent of the population would think that they are not exactly happy or content with that whatever statement it was right so you can't use all right so do you see the problem i think i think language has evolved this way probably because people feel the need to overstate their excitement or overstate their positive feeling when it comes to making a deal or having this arrangement with another human being in a social setting so but i think We've got to have a different kind of language because it's just exhausting to be bombarded with all of these amazing, great and fabulous, all of this kind of positive um, words. I think today it will turn out to be a longer episode than I expected. So that's all right. <laughs> that's all right, actually. Yes. <laughs> um, and maybe it has something to do with schooling. So when teachers were trained to, to, have, to write comments, um, students work even if it's the most mediocre work ever I suppose teachers are maybe at least in North America they're supposed to be very very encouraging and they would have to write fabulous but something like that right and I think I think that's in the that's probably been primed since you were five years old or something and now you just learned that you cannot be just all right you have to be absolutely amazing when that's all a facade and you don't feel like it and you um and still you just can't tell the truth and you just have to use a lot of makeup words like <laughs> to to hide your real um, um your real face your real uh real emotions and i think we should definitely have something that is not as bad as bad but not as good as good for like a bunch of words that are that are um acceptable for a business kind of email or just for for any kind of text exchanges right and that is not mean that's not rude but also not overly made up um maybe i could find find a list right that sounds um right you cannot say that sounds satisfactory that sounds um 
that it will make my day. That's so very, very awkward. That sounds um, exactly like I was expecting. Then it just sounds weird. So we're going to have a new trove of vocabulary for a, like an email or text situation that is not going to um, exaggerate your emotions and uh, pre project this this unrealistic expectation of how people are supposed to feel in a social setting, right? I think language does translate into culture or culture, I don't know, like intertwined, but point is, point is, people sometimes do speak on the way they write and or vice versa. So this bubbly, happy culture is not my thing. I am... <sighs> I, it's not like I want to be truthful all the time, but um, for me, these words still connote their original meanings. Fabulous means very, very um, exciting and in a positive way. So when you use that word fabulous, when you say you're going to meet me, I... I get a little bit overwhelmed. Right? I'm not supposed to feel that way. I'm supposed to just treat it as a like a period or some sort of comma that's just supposed to be there in the grammatical structure but words are supposed to still mean something and this is just <laughs> a bunch of um just some something i i thought about when i read the very standard american text i received so there's that um right so how does this relate to the other topics i want to talk about i guess the the um general idea really or really what my whole podcast is about um it, it really is about the the tiny alternative or parallel universes um that are people's minds right i feel like um we never really talk about them um at all in 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 just sort of common parlance or modern discourse and it's very difficult to talk about that and i guess i could start with with the sort of the different kinds of thoughts so i was just thinking that you know the other day sometimes i think how how have i brought myself to this point right how have i landed in this country, let's say, or how have I ended up doing whatever I'm doing in the moment and um, why did I make these decisions or how did I make these decisions or did, was I the one making the decisions and so it's a big rabbit hole and I suppose there are like a million of, of literature out there that would explain or hypothesize about this um, but I have I've just thought about this, I thought about how like the percentage of voluntary thinking um, that would actually determine my actions. So I I was just thinking that the voluntary component is actually pretty small. So if su suppose I um, I'm in a restaurant and I'm presented with this menu and it's got a lot of options and the prices and all that and I spend a good 10 minutes reading the menu and deciding what I'm going to eat. And perhaps I'm with a friend and we could discuss what we're going to order and what this restaurant is like, blah, blah, blah. 
I think in that moment of deciding what you're going to order, I think and and then and then actually choosing something to order. I think in that time being, like the ten full minutes, I would say that your decision and your thinking is entirely voluntary, as in you and only you are in control of what you're gonna do in that moment. So you go through the list, you think about the chicken, you think about whatever is an ingredient, you think about your diet, or if you're more sophisticated, you don't think about that at all. <laughs> and you just pick something that you seem to, you think you'll like. I think that is all very voluntary. Um, or another example is when you go to the grocery, you do your grocery shopping, you've got shopping list with you, you look at the aisles and you walk into the aisles and then you look at the options presented on the shelf and you make a decision about what to buy. And then you go to one of the self-checkout machines and you follow the instructions, you scan the barcodes, you raise your hand when, when, when you've got alcohol and you need ID checking. I think in all of these moments, every single one of them, I would say that they are also the result of voluntary thinking, as in you are completely aware, 100% clear uh, about what you want to do and why you're doing it. And um, you are totally aware that you're spending this and that amount of money, you know, you need this credit card. And so like everything is clear, there's nothing, it's, it's just all very translucent and there's nothing hidden. Um, that is motivating or bringing you to to anything else that you might not have wanted for yourself. I would say that you're completely 100% responsible for the bag of grocery that you walked out with. Of course, psychologists are going to tell you that, oh, well, when you're hungry, you do grocery shopping and you're going to get more than what you, you would usually get, which I agree with, but I'm not denying that. But at the same time, when you are picking up these items, when you're hungry, they are still in the hungry moment, you're still being yourself, you're still being voluntary and you're still agreeing with your choices. So I'm not denying the pre-existing condition that may have opened up your appetite for more shopping, but the act of buying and choosing and looking at the items, I think the this is still the result of voluntary thinking. Um, and then I was thinking about well, is there something a little bit less trivial than grocery shopping and menu menu scanning that is completely voluntary? I would say yes, perhaps when you um go on a date and then it's all going very well and um at the end of the date you are presented with this with this um decision whether or not you're going to kiss, right? And I think in that very, that split second or split minute of deciding if you're going to kiss this person in front of you, I, sup I suspect that that moment of choosing yes versus no, I suspect that is also completely voluntary. Um, as in, there's no external force telling you to kiss or not. No, you and only you are the one who made that decision to 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 do the kissing or to avoid the kissing and change the topic, right? I, I'm not sure if this is any less trivial, but at least it's 
anyway, it might be a little bit different. But, and then I was thinking, is there any, like, better or bigger decisions that involve completely your voluntary thinking? And then I thought, maybe not. <laughs> and that's why it's so difficult to to predict what's going to happen every day because you aren't even, you're not even sure what you would do every day. So, for example, as for the involuntary thinking, what I mean is perhaps what psychologists would call what's going on in your subconscious or even your unconscious. And I think that is the root of all of our problems. So, yes, you may have um come to this restaurant on your own well you may have picked this this dish out of your own well you may have met up with this friend out of your own well you've set the times in your calendar on your own well and you're totally aware of your schedule and all that but i think there must be some external force unbeknownst to you or just inaccessible to you in your consciousness that have brought you to a liking to this friend in the first place or to this restaurant, this type of menu or this type of cuisine in the first place. Um, and it's, it's still you making the decision. It's still, there's no one, so to speak, forcing you. Um, but I would say that it is, it is, it is very difficult to, to control them, to decide against this thing should you want to um another thing is for example just um choosing to go on this date on the first in the first place right or choosing that method of dating in the first place like did you approach this person on the street or did you did you download some sort of app like how did you make that decision i think has i suspect has um to do with something that's completely inaccessible to you and 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 I think I just I think about like more than 70% or I would say even 90% of the stuff that's going on that's pushing you to do things even though they're all technically you doing the decision I think um, the predisposition to do something is not really controllable by you it's completely involuntary um and um of course this is not i suppose this is all very uh this is all a very old theory and in fact i just finished watching the pixar movie soul which is about uh like the setting of a soul's personality before they arrive on earth before they become a person that has flesh on earth so they've got this whole world um what what is it called in the movie i don't remember i think it's like pre-life or something like that so there's the afterlife so there's a pre-life which is where your soul gets molded into a particular shape as in having this uh, personality predisposition and then once you're completely molded you would get thrown on earth and that's when you start your life on earth right so i think the idea of that movie is just not it's just well, the premise, I'd say, of the movie is just what I'm saying. That there are your personality or, like, the um, your makeup or your tendency uh, is actually predetermined. And, and yes, the, the more mundane things you have control over, but 
according to Seoul, I suppose the director would agree that um, there are, like, everyone's just made uh, uniquely, or I don't know if it's unique, but everyone's just predetermined to have this kind of personality before they were even born. So I suppose it's out of their control. Well, that's a whole other issue that we can talk about. But point is, point is, <laughs> I don't know how to feel about this thinking or like how I can make of it. Because like, I think the issue of freedom is really my fundamental quest or rather um, something I'm still trying to figure out and I still haven't got a um, um, an answer to that but thinking that my subconscious let's say is doing a lot of the heavy work it sometimes gives me this, this sense of relief um, as in yeah then I, I don't have to be so conscious about what I'm doing every time because there's just a big part of me that is that might have been pre-programmed and therefore um, there isn't much I can do about it. But of course that is a very slippery slope to go down to and one should not attempt to look at the slope. Um, I think the question is then, well, we don't need to have a question, but I think the if we're going to ask anything about this is um, perhaps or to what extent do our, in, sorry, do our voluntary thoughts alter the very contents of our involuntary thoughts. So suppose, let's say, I go to this Indian restaurant and I order this dish, right? And then I tasted this this um, curry or whatever food it is, um, which I've chosen out of my voluntary thought, according to my theory. And then I realize I really like it. So then I'm going to imprint this memory into my subconscious or I would just do it over and over again and it's just gonna be hard written into my personality even that I'm a curry eater or whatever it is right and the accumulation of the voluntary thoughts I suppose could do something about your very core being so um, so then, so then we are not, we don't have the exact freedom to be completely lazy because um, it means that you're like the supposedly small actions are going to change or are going to sort of alter the path little by little. So if you decided to kiss this person on the first date, let's say, that would, that would wire you or that would write you if you were in a play, you would become this character who, um, who just who does this kind of thing, right? Who goes for a first kiss, sorry, a kiss on the first date. Um, or if you chose not to do it on the first date, not on the second date, not on the third date, um, yes, that very action is voluntary, but then I think, um, like, they pile up and they become, if someone's reading a play about you and your actions, you become this character who is known to be very cautious with, I guess kissing. So, <laughs> so, so I think in that view, yeah, we can't be lazy. <laughs> you just have to be careful with the tiny thing. It's just, but then there's an interesting question is, well, suppose, yes, the, ch the choice to eat a curry this time and another time and then the third time. How many times do I need before it becomes like a hardwired thing in my personality? And, and and then, and then there's the question of what exactly is the glue that strings all of the, um, 
all these times of choosing curry over and over again together, right? Um, how, let's say I do curry, curry, and then, I don't know, some fish, and then curry, fish, right? So what is the mechanism that decides to ignore the two times I did not choose curry and and just try to see the pattern of the curry that I've always chosen, right? When, who is doing that seeing? That sounds really creepy, but who is doing that seeing and who is ignoring the the occasional deviant choice, right? Um, and perhaps if we look at the grand scheme of things, people could be very smug or they could have an idea of their personality. They would tell someone that I am, I'm a total introvert, right? I prefer... I prefer being alone. I'm much more comfortable being just alone with my thoughts, whatever, right? They can tell people that and they could choose again and again to write to someone and tell them they're they're this introvert. And maybe it seems like they do spend a lot of time alone, but but maybe it's just that because they have this voluntary thought to to choose to be this introverted person or to to choose this to choose to be more introverted when they are presented with two choices. One is to go out, one is to stay home, let's say. And they, more likely than not, they chose the, the um, going, sorry, staying home option. Or, and so they become more cautious of, of the fact that they tend to stay home. But they may be wrong. Or maybe um, the very few moments that they are actually out, they accomplish so much, much more than when they, indoors that the the outwardly things they do define who they are more than the indoorly moments right and so if you look at it from a greater point like like a further from a further standpoint you realize that actually yes they call themselves an introvert but they are actually um from a god's point of view they're quite quite a social character right um, and so who is this glue, like who has this power of the glue to determine what are the little things that really uh, paint you as someone who you claim you are or as someone who you are. So I was just thinking all about this and I've got no conclusion whatsoever. <laughs> um, but it ties back to the texting problem, right? When you use that positive language again and again, you just like you you just re-emphasize that you are happy you're like it's amazing to, to to do this thing together whatever it is that you use in your text um you are making you're making the choice you are still typing out the words and one day when you die and if you happen to be famous or whatever it is the text become the only things that matter and that could be put into a museum i often use this museum thing to calm myself down right when when i'm feeling distressed i tell myself look whatever you're feeling right now if you don't write it down then well this thing is just going to disappear no one's going to know you you're going to this doesn't matter at all in terms of a museum or a wikipedia page but okay back to the point in that exhibition of yours um, I think I brought this up in the previous episode as well because it's a lifelong sort of tool of mine to think of your life in a in terms of exhibition or a museum. But anyway, in that exhibition of yours, the future generations are just going to see all of your happy texts, business texts, and maybe in that age, they no longer use this kind of language. Maybe they found the neutral word I was looking for. 
they don't no longer say it sounds good they have this it sounds neutral something like that right and then they will think of you as this bubbly person who you're not you're just trying to fit into the american culture wherever you're from and and then and then it'll be interesting right like it will be the historian's task to look at the nature of text writing in your time and see that if you're particularly um, extroverted but before that historian comes along suppose you are one of the most important people in your generation and in this museum you got all of these positive texts and emails and then people are just gonna think oh wow you're just this bubbly personality and and so that's why language matters because if you keep using this language and you know you, you feel detached from that language that's you're just gonna be misrepresented in the future not that it really matters if you're dead but point is i still think we got to find a new word for what we really do mean when we say yes if you want to be more colorful than just yes but otherwise i think a good old yes should do right we shouldn't i mean there we shouldn't be so um so confused or sorry we shouldn't be bound to the idea that our texts and emails are gonna you know it, like we're gonna offend someone if we don't use this overly positive language um because the small things are gonna add up and you don't know who's the glue that's gonna paint you as some sort of person not that not that what people think of you really matters but i think you are also going to be one of the people who are aware of what you've done what kind of curry you've chosen what kind of grocery you've chosen how you've spent your money and what the little habits you are uh you have and so you're going to be the one who has the most information about yourself and eventually if you're the most likely candidate of that glue that strings these things together and like string them into their your involuntary thought thinking which is part of your unconscious if you're the person if ultimately voluntary or involuntary what you do add up if that's the case if they do add up then you're going to be in big trouble if we don't find that perfect um word right it's basically just like this like if you always just eat in a restaurant and you're only choosing from like the 15 things on the list and you never cook you never make your own meal eventually you're going to be this curry person who uh you know you're not you just it just happens that you're only presented with these options and you choose curry that's all but if you got if you can write by yourself you, you can write your own kind of text not using emojis not relying on emoticons but just like do your own kind of writing and not trying to be friendly about using all lower cases that's still like a conventional thing you gotta be your own cook you gotta be your own cook of language so that you can shape your own personality or else you're just gonna become this bland american um if, if that's your goal then so be it but the point is point is that's what this bubbly american's text got me thinking i was just thinking i've had enough i've at least i've got to come up with some words that are gonna change the paradigm of email writing right we're no longer gonna end with looking forward to meeting you we're no longer gonna end with sincerely we're no going to feign that that enthusiasm when we don't feel like it i you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna start i'm gonna be the one who uses this new 
completely truthful language when it comes to texting and emailing. I'm just gonna say what I really think. If I'm not too excited about this meeting, which I have to do, which I cannot really turn down, I'm gonna say yes. To be honest, <laughs> I'm not so. I'm not really looking forward to this. But the truth is, I know I gotta do. I'm not gonna write that. I'm not gonna write that. I've gotta find. I'm gonna go into the dictionary and find some better words that can convey just this neutral agreement kind of emotion. Um, okay, I don't know how the two topics really uh, string together. I hope they do. In any case, um, hope you've enjoyed this episode. I'll see you in August. That's it. Bye.